Tyler's message this morning is the mission. I don't know if you've ever heard of perpetual motion before. It's a motion of bodies that continue indefinitely. A perpetual motion machine is a hypothetical machine that can do work indefinitely without an energy source. This kind of machine is impossible because it would violate either the first or the second law of thermodynamics, which are these. Matter cannot create itself, and matter is always in decay. And you can use those laws of thermodynamics to, to, to argue other different cases about evolution and the earth coming into being. Matter cannot create itself. It had to be created. The only organism or living body that has pure perpetual motion is the church. It's the body of Christ that will continue indefinitely. Here on earth, and when Christ calls them home, it will continue in heaven forever, and then on the new heaven and the new earth as well. If you remember, Jesus told Peter, he said, upon this rock, meaning himself, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Nothing can stop it. Nothing will snuff it out. Snuff it out. So that's kind of what Jesus set in motion. And then in Luke 10, verses 1 and 2, we read these words. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them on ahead in pairs to all the towns and villages he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. Pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send out more workers for his fields. So Jesus is setting in motion this missionary task. It's still active in this present age, the church age in which we live, the age of grace, the dispensation that we are presently in. Present workers are continue to work and to pray for workers coming behind them so that perpetual motion will, will continue on. In John 4, 35 and 36, states the obvious. Look around you. Vast fields are ripening all around us and are ready for the harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest as people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? And in our text in Luke 2, again, the harvest is so great, but the workers are so few. Pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest and ask him to send out more workers for his field. So the question that is begged this morning is why are the workers so few? As when we, we look at statistics, I, I like statistics sometimes, and sometimes you kind of shake your head. Do you realize that 72% of Americans say they're Christian? And when it breaks that down, when you ask the next question, Barna did this survey, and he asked them, out of that 72%, how many are active in church? And that went down to like 23%. And in that 23%, they ask what they thought a regular attender was, and they said once a month. So that, that's, what, that's what's facing us today in the church, but it doesn't, it doesn't do anything or it doesn't dampen this command that, that Christ gave us to go out into the harvest. There are people around that need Christ and we are the ones that have to go in and do that. Why are the workers so few? I, I think a lot of it is that, that too many uh, in the kingdom are sitting in the shade or sitting in the wings and they want somebody else to do it. John Maxwell came up with a, a principle he called the Pareto principle. It's 80-20. Uh, it's a Greek word, which I don't know Greek that well, but I know what that means. That in, this, in this concept, it even applies to business, I think, or any organization, especially volunteer organizations. 
20% of the people do the work, while 80% sit in the shade and do nothing. And I, 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 think it, it, I, I think that applies probably to the church. So Jesus has given his followers a mission. It's the greatest mission because it's his mission. Jesus in our text gives us the motivation we need to carry out his mission. And that is a huge word. Employers have to motivate their employees. Parents motivate their children. Teachers motivate their children. People in leadership, they try to mo motivate their followers. There was a guy named Samuel who, uh, at his small company where he worked, the, the boss and the uh, CEO and all the, the board of directors decided that they would start this pension plan. And in this pension plan, they, the, the worker would donate some and then the, the boss or the company would match that and it had to be 100% participation. Well, this Sam wouldn't sign, so the doctor, the doctor, the CEO called him in his office one day and he gave him a pen and he had a piece of paper down which was that contract about the pension. He said, Sam, here's a copy of the new pension plan and here's a pen. I want you to sign the paper. I'm sorry, but if you don't sign, you're fired. Immediately, Sam grabbed the pen and wrote his name and the boss said, would you mind telling me why you didn't sign earlier? And Sam simply replied, well, sir, nobody explained it to me quite so clearly. <laughs> Man, motivation is huge. There might be some of us here who have almost zero. What, what do you, how, do you, how do you do that? Marine Corps had a way for doing it. The Marine Corps, uh, they didn't have time for slackers or whiners or deadbeats or people that didn't follow orders so well, and people that went AWOL fell, fell into that category as well. Well, they had something they called motivation platoon. So they took the whole platoon out, and we watched this other motivation platoon. And for 16 hours, they, they dug holes in sand, put sand into buckets, ran over here and dumped it. And when that pile was big enough, they had to take those buckets and fill us up. And they did that 16 hours a day with a drill instructor screaming in their ear. And back in those days, they could thump them with their knuckle on the side of their head, and they got some of that. Two weeks of that. And if you didn't please the drill instructors after that, you went another two weeks. And after that, if, if, you didn't, if they didn't think you was becoming a good Marine, they gave you a bad conduct discharge, which followed you your whole life. In the kingdom, God does not use motivation like that. Can you imagine if he did? I can't imagine in my mind. There are things that motivate us in life. Pain motivates it. I'm a big baby. It motivates me. For years, I was a salt addict. I would salt apples, grapes, didn't matter. I salted everything, especially when Diane wasn't looking. I salted it whether it needed it or not. She was concerned about my health and tried to get me to quit. And I didn't quit till one night I sat in my chair all night passing a kidney stone. No fun at all. Pain motivated me to quit eating salt. A month later, low sodium. I was in the hospital at Union for two nights because I didn't eat enough salt. Go figure. <laughs> I'm back on the salt wagon now. If you come in my office and you see a, a cow salt block on my desk, don't think anything about it. <laughs> That's what somebody has suggested. I could just lick, take a lick off that every once in a while. Here at Crossroads, the mission is part of our DNA. DNA. We talk about that every once in a while, our genetic code. 
to impact our culture, to reproduce ourselves and build nations. It's on the front of your bulletin every week. But the question that we have as, as leadership, as far as the leadership team, the staff, and all the folks that do work here, how do we mo motivate others to do that? John Piper is a great preacher. And uh, Bill Snodgrass, I know, will appreciate this because he's a great preacher. And uh, a lot better preacher than me, Bill, actually. But he has some ideas on mission. Let's watch. You belong to God. He made you. You exist for Him. The unwasted life is the life that puts Christ on display as supremely valuable. A God-centered theology has to be a missionary theology. There are only three kinds of Christians when it comes to missions. Zealous goers, zealous senders, and disobedient. The reason we go is because we have the absolute confidence that the one in whose name we go has all authority, therefore nothing can stop him. The need of the nations who do not know the name of Jesus is an immeasurable need. It's an infinite need. 2.6 billion people live in unreached people groups. It seems to be woven into the very fabric of our consumer culture that we move toward comfort, toward security, toward ease, toward safety, away from stress, away from trouble, away from danger, and it ought to be exactly the opposite. I wonder sometimes if America is almost becoming an unreached people group. In our text, Jesus tells us what should motivate us at crossroads to be the workers here, desires us to be, and the first motivation is the harvest. When I was in high school, I worked for a farmer that, that had pigs, and uh, I like pigs, actually. Pigs are my friends, but nonetheless, he, he had farm ground too, and his name was Delmer, and he said, you get tired of scooping that pig stuff, don't you? I said, yeah, pretty much. He said, well, it's getting spring, and it'll open up some seat jobs. That's what I always called being on the tractor, which I, I love that. And he'd plant corn and soybeans and, and sometimes Milo, not very often. But in those days after you planted, uh, the work wasn't done. As the crops grew, you, you hoed them. I liked hoeing because you could pretty much go in road gear, and I liked fast, so I, I liked that part. The cultivating, I wasn't so happy about, because you used to cultivate and uh, had little corn and beans, and you'd put fenders on them cultivators, but you could only creep along. I, I'd get sleepy. I didn't, I didn't like that so much. And then with a rear cultivator, if you was about half asleep, you looked back, and a stick got caught, and you took out a, caught, and you took out a whole roll of corn. That didn't go, always go over so good, but nonetheless, you know what I'm saying? But that was before no-till. Now, with no-till today, you still do stuff. I'd, I don't see anybody out in the fields cutting out corn out of beans because uh, there, is, there hardly isn't any. And uh, out at Allen Huff's field by our house, there was a stalk of corn. I like seeing it so bad, I just let it go. I didn't even go cut it down, Alan. So that corn, it's, it's out there when you get ready to pick. But you know what? 
There is, there's, there's, a no, there's not a no-till system in the kingdom. I think a lot of times we just think people's going to stumble in here or stumble onto Christ and they're going to come themselves, but it doesn't work that way. We, we, we have to be part of the harvest. And what is the harvest for Crossroads? It's what crop we're going after. We're going after people. Because we all know, let's, let, we get totally honest with each other. We all know people that need Christ. We see their lives deteriorating. You see them full of anger, bitterness, stress. There's no, they have no release. And we always, I've heard this a million times. Well, I don't, I don't know what people do without Christ. Well, they go ahead and live the way they are because they don't know any better. That is the point. That is why, why God has, has us into this world. My biggest message that I ever preach is coming to Christ, is getting the boat with Christ. But then I want others to do that as well. And that's what God has called us to do. You know, when people see us out talking to people, if they see us showing compassion and love and concern, it makes a difference. And then when they see us out in the community doing outreach, regardless of what that is, they see the hand and feet of Christ in action. I've, I've said this a thousand times. People are sick to death of hearing about Jesus and not seeing any action. It's easy for us to say that. But the fact is, they want to they see, see things. They want to see things. I remember Jesus said this in Matthew 4, 19. Jesus called out, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for the souls of men. It's part of the harvest. It, it's, it's fishing in a spiritual sense. And you, that fish, you know what motivates you to stay in one place, if, only if they're biting. Or if you change bait and they're not biting, you try to move around to another place where the fish are biting. I don't know if some of you do. You remember Chuck Wells came to church here, him and Norma Swang, Norman Swango, his brother-in-law. And I always got tickled at Chuck because he'd come in and say, we got into some crappies and they were this big. <laughs> Think about it. If there was a crappie that big, he'd be like this tall. We, we always just went, went along with him and joked. But, but he hated to be out fished. And him and Norman go fishing. They had a boat. Of course, Chuck was on the controls. If Norm was in a spot catching fish and Chuck wasn't, he'd move the boat. He'd move around so Chuck was in the fishing hole and Norm was where they wasn't biting. But that's just kind of the way, the way. If you're a follower of Christ, you have your own personal fishing hole in a sense. Each one of us here this morning have our own circles, our own spheres of influence. Your immediate family, your relatives, your close friends, people you work with, neighbors, acquaintances, people you run into at Basler's, at Walmart, all over the place. You're, you're involved in people. It's hard to get away from people in this day and age. And if you follow the Holy Spirit's lead, he will lead us to where the fish are biting. The harvest is plentiful, Jesus said, but there's not enough folks picking. That's kind of what he's trying to say here. And that's our focus at Crossroads if you went somebody's, by somebody's house or a building and you saw it was on fire, would you just go in and save one person? I don't think so. We'd want to get everybody in that building out. And after they came out to see the relief on their faces that they'd been rescued, redeemed, so to speak. First motivation for mission is the harvest. The second motivation is, is a need for workers. The workers are a few. Jesus said this is a huge harvest out there. Just waiting, waiting to be taken. And here's my question. Has the church lost sight of harvest for people that are all around us? 
Now, I, I love church. I, I'm, I know you don't believe me, and I don't have my fingers crossed. When I'm not here, I, I miss you. I really do. But have we lost sight of that? We enjoy each other. We enjoy coming in here. But have we lost sight of those people that, that aren't in here? You realize that every de mainline denomination is either plateaued or declining in membership. Not just two or three, but every one of them. It means it's not just a coincidence. It means that, that we, we've lost sight of the objective of what it's about. And it means we have a lack of motivation. Yet the harvest are still there. There are still people in your spheres of influence that are searching for God. And it's up to you to be there for them. But I, I do believe that we have gotten ourselves really busy. If you look at our schedules, it's, it's just, it's almost unbelievable what we've signed up for. Gene Weingarten decided to do an experiment to see if people recognize musical greatness where it, when it was before them. So he got a musician by the name of Joshua Bell to go to the Metro in Washington, D.C., where he be began to play classical music at 7.51 a.m. in the middle of the morning rush hour. For the next 43 minutes, he played six classical pieces while 1,097 people passed by. Weingarten wrote, and I quote, No one knew it, but the fiddler standing against a bare wall outside the metro in an indoor arcade at the top of the escalator is one of the finest classical musicians in the world, playing some of the most elegant music ever written on one of the most valuable violins ever made. But on that day... Bell's playing a violin made in the 1600s was valued at $3.5 It was just another noisemaker competing for the attention of busy people on their way to work. He ended up with $32. He normally made $1,000 a minute for his performance. Jesus said the workers to bring in the harvest are few. Yeah. And that's why I wonder sometimes if that's why we have kind of fallen short a little bit on that. We go to football games, and those of you that go to Colts games, there's thousands of people in the stand. In that concept, as you see thousands of people, do you see any lost people, or are they all just, just people? I, I think for us to make a difference, we have, we have to start seeing the world through the eyes of Christ. I'm going to be real honest here this morning. I'm not so sure our churches are going to wake up and see the harvest before them. I believe on that day as we stand before Christ at the judgment seat in the air. I don't know this, if it's going to, how this is going to work out, but we suffer loss and reward. And, and I wonder if he plays, when he plays our, our CD or our video or our clip, that it'll show those times in life that the Holy Spirit set up this divine appointment and we missed it. I'm guilty. I think we're all guilty. We get in a hurry. You ever go in the, to Baselers or wherever you shop, Kroger's, Walmart, whatever, and you, are, you have cut yourself short, so you are in an extreme rush. And you see somebody that you would call a VDP. It's a very draining person that it, always needing, never giving, always taking things from you, whether it's time or whatever. And you know... If you get hooked up with them, you're going to be there four or five minutes as they unload on you. So you hide. Anybody ever done that before? Come on. You're in church now, kids. Now, God bless you, Polly. 
It's, you don't, you know, because you just know. But and I'm guilty too. But what if, what if that was a divine appointment that God set up? Well, I take it. It takes a lot of patience to be a believer. It really does. But if we're going to transform this community, there are people in your life that I'll never talk to. There are people in your life that will probably never hear a message here. Hopefully they do, but we don't know that. You think about between 280 and 350 or how many, we, attendance goes up and down, but out of all us together, our spheres of influence, how many thousands of people we touch every week? All of us. There's nobody excluded from that. So I, I think that's a heavy thought to think about, but you think about us being out being Jesus to people, which we're supposed to do, and I, I hope that you are. Our first motivation for the mission is the harvest, and the second is the need for more workers. And the last one, God will provide us with the ability to win people. We read that verse 2, and we say, well, that's not really what that says, but that's exactly what God is saying. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. You go work in the Lord's field, and then you pray for more workers and more workers, because you're not going to be able to work one of these days you'll be taken out of here. And that, that's the, to keep it. That's a perpetual motion. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. And it doesn't mean that everybody's going to respond. Not everybody responded to Jesus. But I'll tell you what, friends, out of all the ones that don't, when that one person responds and you see the spiritual light go on in their eyes, there, there's nothing like it. And I hope that's happened to you. There is nothing like it. Not for the fact to brag about it, but it's the fact that there'll be people in heaven on that day because you listened to the Holy Spirit and you went into their life. You know, I, I hear a lot of people talk about, you know, it's almost like back in the day when they scalp people and they had a, all them scalps on their belt. I don't, I don't see it like that. I think that's bragging. And I've known some believers like that and it bummed me out. But nonetheless, on that day, on that judgment seat of Christ, when, they, when Jesus brings them stories up, you're, all, you're going to be all about it, actually. A lot of times we don't do it because we're afraid. We feel inadequate. We don't want to be stupid or rejected, which is easy for me. If you feel that way, it's normal. It was an issue even in the days of Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 19, and 20, really important. Do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. If we're obedient, God will take us out in the world. He'll open the door. He'll put, give us that nod or squeeze our heart, and we know at that moment we're supposed to say something. Or it works the other way, too. There's sometimes you're not supposed to say anything. But you know. We, we can't plead ignorance. You, you can't do that if you're a believer because you know when the Holy Spirit speaks to you. Our, our main objective at Crossroads is to make disciples of Jesus Christ and then for them to go make more disciples. That's that perpetual motion. That's how it's supposed to work. To do that, we have to have a, a missional imagination. For too long, we've stayed within the church and been concerned about the church, which is a good thing, but that's, that has to change. We, we have to start taking the focus off ourselves, and it, and it has to be out where you live, in your neighborhood, and try to be aware of what God's doing there and who he has opened up for you to be Christ to. Rowan Williams, Archbishop of Canterbury, summarizes this imagination in this way. It is not the church of God that has a mission. It's the God of mission that has a church. 
And he's put us in this world to be him. And way too long, we, we've, we, we, it, it's easier hanging out with you guys that I love and I know. And, and you're all pretty clean. I don't see you come in here with tobacco juice coming down your face or smelly. Or if you do, you might want to set up in the corner of the balcony. But nonetheless, you know what I'm saying. We like each other, or most of the time. But you, you bring somebody in the mix that's not like us. It, it, and I'm proud of Crossroads. You guys haven't been like that so much. But the fact is, we really don't want to go into their world. We like our world. And I guess that's, that's why I'm so proud of, of Steve, that he's went out. He's in outreach. He's in the school uh, with Revive. We're trying to get into the community, and I, I will forever be indebted him to do that. Because he is showing us the way and what we really need to be doing, actually. How do we attract people to what we are doing? That question becomes, what is God up to in this neighborhood? What are the ways we need to change in order to engage the people in our community who no longer consider church a part of their lives? That's the big one. What can we do to get into people's lives that don't see the need for Christ or the church or anything else. God is calling us to be heavily involved in his mission in new and creative ways to interject Christ in this community. I think there's a problem with a lot of us. I know I had it for years. When we got to that point where we bended our knee and our heart to Christ and we have accepted him as our savior, we've come in like Christian in Pilgrim's Progress and we've got this big burden on us. And unless we physically and mentally take care of that burden, it, it's still on us. We might walk a little straighter, but we're not upright yet. And as the Holy Spirit works for us, he tries to remove that from us so we can be totally free to do this work. But I think there's too many folks sometimes that's so burdened down, they can't look outside themselves to help others because they can't get themselves where they need to be. In 1986, a movie called The Mission was released. It's about bringing uh, Jesus to the Guarani people in Paraguay. Robert De Niro plays a mercenary enslaver and makes a living kidnapping the Guaranis and selling them to plantations. And the Guarani people know that he's evil and they know what he has done. The Holy Spirit spoke to his heart, so a priest is trying to lead him to Jesus. And he tells De Niro to understand the love of Christ and forgiveness, he needs to tie up all of his armor in a bundle and accompany him and drag that all the way to the Guaranis. Watch how this plays out in this struggle in his life. That's the power and emotional forgiveness. Finally having that burden released, gone forever. I think many of us carry a burden in here every week. We laugh with each other and we know each other and sometimes cry, but when you get into that intimate, intimate part, only God knows that. And, uh, there's a lot of our burdens that we don't want anybody to see. We don't want them to know that we have them. But you know what? 
you can bring out to God and it's cut loose and goes into the deepest part of the ocean never to be remembered again by God or hopefully yourself actually you can turn loose of it I think that's what holds us back as believers as being on mission in the world our own burdens hold us back from that and my prayer is this morning if you got something you need to turn loose of please do that leave this place free this morning God's counting on you Christ is, is, is counting on you to go into this world burden-free and be all you can be for him. So as, as we sing, just open up your heart to God and let the Holy Spirit talk to you. If you need prayed with, you can come down here. <laughs> in my spiritual journey, I spent a lot of time at an altar. And as I said in the first service, I'm the most unlikely guy in the world that should be standing here. But... Because of forgiveness, because of his grace, he calls us into the adventure of our life. So keep that in mind as we sing, Steve.